Money Rules or Money Rules. Here at Hold My Wealth, we are all about empowering financial success in our community of listeners. We hope you find today's topic both informative and helpful. Welcome back to the Help My Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Logan, and today I have with me Hamish Ferguson and David Lennox. Thank you for coming. Thanks very much, Steve. You're welcome. Um, Hamish has been a mortgage broker and a financial planner for 25 years now? No, 21 years. 21 years. And David, you were a chartered accountant for 30 years and a mortgage broker for 23 years. Is that correct? That's right. You're making us sound old, Steve. I know. It does. Sorry. Hamish has been a mortgage broker for one year and David... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's better. (laughs) Well, I remember when we started, I looked at people that were brokers that were my age and... Uh, was critical and thought that they were over the hill and it doesn't take long to actually be that person mm. on the other side of the hill. But look, you come to us with a wealth of knowledge and wisdom, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for having us and I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Look, on that subject, I mean, please tell us a little bit about yourself and about Vision and Vision Aggregate and what, what you do. Uh, well, um, yeah, used to be an accountant and me and my business partner, which isn't Hamish, uh, formulated the business idea in a car coming back from Mudgee Sevens Rugby Tournament. That was sort of mid to late 1999 and by early 2000 we, we, we were in business and that was the early years of mortgage broking and uh, we came from very different backgrounds. I was an accountant, more sort of credit and operations and that sort of thing and he was, he was the hardcore sort of no fear um, selling but had a very good financial brain, Matt, Matt Ivers, who's my business partner and then Within 12 months, Hamish, who, was, who had already had uh, the challenge of a growing family, which I didn't have at that time, was looking for a new challenge. He'd done his back after years of retail and had a young family and he was looking for a change. And I think that combination of the hunger we, ha- we had and the challenges we needed was the perfect storm. So we really, all three of us, the Vision Sydney and the Vision Newcastle, really uh, hit the ground running in those years, sort of 2000, 2001 through to 2006. I think both businesses sort of doubled every six months for about Mm. three or four years. And since then, the two of us have branched out into different areas, Um, myself into aggregation and property and Hamish, she can explain. Um, But we're very much joined at the hip in terms of the branding of vision. Um, And with Help My Wealth, we, we sort of have a yin and yang. We're old school mates and pretty much can finish each other's sentences these days and um, it's, it's, I feel very uh, privileged and, and uh, uh, honoured is not the right word but fortunate that we can sort of still have this sort of uh, lasting yeah, friendship. After and, 20 years. Yeah, oh yes, we, 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 <laughs> we, we, like any relationship, whether it's with uh, a great mate or a partner or a wife, it's not without its challenges but... Uh, we get through it and it's still very enjoyable and I look forward to it continuing. So I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball here, Dave, a little bit, and I know it's prior to this part of the story, but um, um, share a little bit about, you know, being in the in Russia or the USSR, you know, earlier on in your life, I believe you abandoned my wedding to to work in, in Russia around the collapse of the USSR. Was that about right? Or? Yeah, it was just outside that time frame. So I do have Russian heritage. My grandmother was born in Russia. Uh, the opportunity at KPMG came up at the Moscow office in 1994, uh, 95. So myself and my girlfriend at that time 
uh, we took that opportunity. It was one of the only offices in the world where we could go together at the same time. And, yeah, it was just outside that period when um, it's probably a dirty word talking about Russia now, but it was a time when it was extremely exciting. They were just exploring mm. the the opportunity post um, post capital post um, Iron Curtain and almost the rebuilding the stage. Would you? Yeah. Totally. There was so much optimism and, and the Russian people that so I was. Gorbachev still. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Gorbachev into Yeltsin. Into Yeltsin. Into, yeah. Or mainly Yeltsin when I was there, and mm. um, I'll, I'll never forget the day when I spoke to Hamish on his wedding day. I think. Uh, I forget where, where, where exactly was it? Anna, Anna I, I Bay. was in Nelson Bay. Yeah. Nelson Bay. I was in uh, Siberia and I think <laughs> the temperature of his wedding day was something like 36 and I was pretty much minus 36. So there was a 70-odd <laughs> point difference in the days anyway. Yeah. So listen, look, on that, what was your um, take-home message, you know, to watch a, um, a community uh, go from being, uh, you know, quite um, heavily watched, quite quite restricted, all of a sudden they've got this hope for the future, they're not sure what's going to happen but they believe it's better. I mean, it must have been an exciting time to be a part of. It was such an exciting time uh, to be there because and, and dealing with the accountants in the Russian office was just outstanding. They were brilliant people. Mm. Um, if, if I was to reflect one thing that they probably did, it's a very easy in hindsight, but they probably just tried too quickly. Mm. Um, the, the rush um, with which everything happened, um, the privatising of all the major assets and the forming of the oligarchs and how much wealth mm. went into small hands and... Uh, yeah, that, that's probably how they'll reflect that things just happen so fast. But working with the um, Russian accountants and over in, in possibly Eastern Europe, but definitely Russia, accounting was a very female-dominated profession mm. and um, the males in the family were doctors and university lecturers and those sorts of things. Um, accounting was and bookkeeping was seen as a very menial and female-orientated task. So most of the people in the office were um, young Russian university graduates and with a lot of hope. But what, what the dynamic was, and I say this to people, is um, they were suddenly receiving Western wages, working mm. in US dollars for a company like KPMG. They might have been on uh, forty or 50,000 US dollars a year, which if you added up their husband, their mother and their father and combine those three salaries and tripled them all, times them by five, the young 23-year-old girl was earning more than wow. more than that. So that was a very unusual dynamic for um, for Russia to be dealing with, that suddenly you had these 25-year-olds earning more than their university doctor, mm. professor, father. Mm. Um, so that would have been a challenging thing too. Mm. Um, and look, you touched on it a little bit before, and I think um, for a lot of our listeners, especially those that are younger, wouldn't wouldn't remember or, or even understand. But when you started Vision uh, with Matt, and then and then later with Hamish, I mean, yeah, that was during the time where the industry was being deregulated. The government was changing from you know big four banks to allowing other things to open up. Can you just explain um, you know what that was like at that time, and why you sort of saw that as an industry that was worth getting involved in? Because I think people these days we've got so many mortgage brokers and so many options. I, I don't think people realise what it was like prior to that in the 90s? Great question, Steve. So I think we've just ticked over the 70% of loans being written by mortgage brokers. Mm, and, that's correct. And I think back when we're talking of the early year 2000, 
were in that 10% category yes. and, and already the dynamic in the US and the UK, they were at the 40% mark already. So it was always, and because it's a pro-choice, consumer-orientated uh, industry, um, it was always going to follow that path in, in, in the Australian economic environment, like because we're a very uh, egalitarian, um, pro-choice type society um, that we're always going to head down that path. So being involved from that 10% through to 20, 30, 40%, once, once we hit that 40, 50% mark, which might have been what, about 10 years ago, it became more sort of broker-to-broker competition. In the early 2000s, it felt like a, a no-competition market. There weren't many brokers around. There was so much business getting people to move from direct lending relationships into third-party or in using a broker was really a no-brainer. Um, people became time poor. There was more choice out there. I always use the analogy um, that if you go and talk to CBA, they'll talk about yellow paint. If you go and talk to ANZ, they'll talk about blue paint. If you go and talk to NAV, they'll talk about red paint. don't know if I've mixed those up. <laughs> but anyway, if you come to a mortgage broker, we've got all the different colour paints. Yes. Um, we can talk about all of it and we can talk about other things as well, not just paint. So, so we were the rainbow, were we? <laughs> we were the original rainbow. The original rainbow. And um, I think that's important to note because for a lot of people, they don't realise that, you know, back before that there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of choice. You, you had the big four banks or a few others and whatever they were offering, that was, that was it. So competition was quite small, wasn't it? That's right. And look, when we go back to the times when our parents um, got mortgages and our grandparents got mortgages, if they were lucky, they would turn up and talk to the bank manager and it would be a student and headmaster style relationship, mm. Mm. right? They would go and talk for an hour or two and they might get a call two weeks later with some sort of broad offer. So it was a very, very nerve-wracking uh, experience. Now, fast forward 20, 30 years to the current environment, it's like the shoe is on the other foot. It is consumer-driven and yes. is who is lucky enough to get my business. Yes. So it hasn't taken that long for that dynamic to change, really. Yes. It's become a very consumer. And whether or not that's gone too far one one way, who knows? And maybe we're seeing a slight rebalancing of that with the slightly more difficult environment to get credit um, that people can't um, just turn up anywhere and get what they want. It's a little bit harder and that's when we come back into play a little bit more. Yes. Yes, and actually, able to answer. I mean, look. Recently, I had a friend of mine uh, come and see Hamish. Actually, they they had been talking. They've got a, a build coming up, and they'd been talking to you know another provider prior to that, and they were just sort of explaining that they didn't understand why use a mortgage broker. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And my comment in the end was, look, it's it's not my area, but I really suggest you have a talk. Just it's it's free. Have a chat, have a talk, and go from there. And it was fascinating him coming back, going, I didn't. I wish I'd done this years ago. I didn't know the questions I had to ask, let alone what the answers were. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So by the time he finished talking to Hamish and talking to Liam and having that roundtable discussion, he felt more empowered. Mm. You know. Now whether he ends up going with with Hamish and Liam and goes in with another provider, it doesn't matter. The fact that he actually had that discussion. He left that situation going, I feel better about where I'm at and what I understand. And I think that's the power of, of, of mortgage brokers and of the ability that you guys have, like you said, not having to go to a blue or a red or a you know, yellow paint to be able to choose, hang on, this is the client, what's the best product for them? Mm-hmm. Have you thought about these other questions? Have you even you know, 
thought about the questions, let alone the answers to, to these, and then bring that together to say, I think this product will actually suit what you're wanting to do really well. Yeah, yeah. good point. Yeah. Well, look, today uh, we want to have our topical conversation. This is our, our podcast um, that we look at a certain topic. Um, Hamish, what have you brought to us to the table today? Yeah, well, I'd really like to talk about just, um, uh, I guess, that, that journey of what it means to, you know, invest over the next couple of years, given all of the uncertainty we've had. We've just talked a little bit about, you know, Russia and, and yes. what it was like 30 years ago. And, of course, that's gone full circle now in terms of that being very topical, inflation, interest rates, things like that. And and, and, and what do you do with all of that? Do you mm. um, so that's probably the thing I'd like to just to discuss a little bit further. Okay, fantastic. And, and David, what would you like to discuss today? Oh, look. You know, we're doing this in late December and people are sort of in the middle of their holiday period and they've had a fair bit of stress over the last six months in mm. terms of six, seven straight interest rate rises coming out of the holiday season um, and how to sort of deal with the challenges ahead, whether rates go up or down, what do people do? I mean, everybody's paying a lot more than they were 12 months ago in terms mm. of everything, mm. their repayments, Fuel, power, yeah, totally. So how building costs? How they uh, cope with that? Get on with their mm. lives and and try and build um, mechanisms to to cope with that. Yeah. Well, look, Hamish, I'd, I'd like to start with your question, and and in regards to interest rates, I thought it'd be interesting. I had someone talk to me recently about you know in the media they hear everything about this you know RBA RBA they're setting interest rates or prices that they didn't really comprehend how that affects them personally in regards to their actual interest rates. Do you mm -hmm. want to just explain to our listeners, you know, in point form a little bit about what that means to somebody? Yeah, well, look, interest rates actually affect us um, quite a bit in a lot of different areas. So it's it's not just, you know, the home loan rate that, that we pay that it, it impacts us on. Mm. Um, so, for example, um, one of the things that all insurers have to do in Australia is is when they collect your premiums, whether it's car insurance or mm. home insurance or whatever it happens to be, is they have to put some of that money away, right? And they have to put it into fairly conservative investments yes. uh, so that it, it just means that if there's a mass claim on something, that they've got that money up their sleeve. So the interest rates um, in society actually affect what our premiums are. So the higher interest rates are, generally the more competitive the premium um, market is because they're making more money on that that those premiums or those funds that they've put aside. In a low interest rate environment, uh, our premiums tend to go up a little bit quicker because of that reverse effect. Mm. So that's one that a lot of people might not actually quite understand is, is how in, in, interest rates. So it's quite often talked about in the marketplace that, um, oh, you know, interest rates only affect, affect homeowners. Yes. But it's not. I mean, no. any Anybody that has any type of insurance product is is affected in some way by insurances. And so, when you know the Reserve Bank of Australia, the, the RBA, go and set a new interest rate, what? How does that flow on to all of us? Yeah, I guess you know because that's what the media report, don't they? I mean, because that's the easy one. That's the standard. They report that, and then it's left to us to assume what that means to us. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so. Yeah, so look, the Reserve Bank, when they talk about interest rates, they're typically almost talking about the wholesale rate, the, the rate that is delivered in some way to everyone else. Yes. Right? So, and then every lender or every bank then puts their margin uh, on top of what that wholesale rate is. Yes. And I'm, I'm trying to explain that in probably a way that everyone will understand. It's mm. probably a little bit different to that in sure. terms of, but generally, you know, if you call it a wholesale rate, you, then your understanding of what the Reserve Bank's talking about is typically right. 
That's um, a good way to put it for a concept, that's for sure. Yeah. So and then and then typically when the Reserve Bank comes out and changes the rates, what they're trying to do is um, in Australia especially, and probably in, I don't know, Dave, if you'd agree with this, but most Western democracies, you know, the, the Reserve Bank or the central bank of that country, it's typically been the only way that they've that, that the government's had to be able to quickly or reasonably quickly change how the economy operates and 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 whether they use it as a mechanism to speed things up or slow things down. Yeah. Well, it is one of their main levers to do that, isn't it, in mm. the economy? So you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, so yeah, so that's that's what the Reserve Bank's doing. But you know, everything gets impacted apart from that. So if you've got a credit card, your interest rate's impacted by that. Yes. Um, so you know, any business that borrows money to, um, to 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 grow or to maintain things yes. they're all impacted by interest rates going up so you might look at it and go well wait a second if I'm buying a car and I'm paying cash for it surely interest rates don't impact me on that but mm. the dealer right would be paying um, leasing costs on on the vehicles that they're actually bringing in all right yes. so so the more cars that dealer holds the higher their costs are that they would be um, having to pay to actually keep those cars on the dealership so, you know, so even for that 18-year-old that doesn't have any debt or anything like that, you know, the impact of a car can 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 be changed with interest rates. It was brought up to me recently, I didn't even, even think of this as a concept, but but quite a lot of large companies actually use a, a loaning situation just to pay their wages. So they'll actually do their pay runs via a almost like a, a loan that's a, an agreed upon with the bank. So they, they pay their wages with the loan and then they, you know, will, will pay that back and that way then the money's just always there. They're not worrying about cash flow moving forward. But, I mean, you think that across Australia and across some of the large employers, even that alone uh, is affected by interest rates too. Well, any temp company that hires out um, workers to, whether it's the big um, manufacturing companies or, yes. or mining companies, generally they've got to pay their workforce, um, you know, either weekly or fortnightly. And a lot of these mining companies might have 60 or 90 day terms. Yes. All right. So those recruitment companies all have to fund those wages, usually through some sort of borrowing mechanism. Yeah. I don't know, Dave, are there any other examples where interest rates can impact that you can think of? Or Well, I think the main thing that they're trying to impact is the cost of the house. Mm-hmm. over the short, medium term. I mean, that's the thing that's one of the things that's really been, um, you know, Australia has this amazing propensity to enjoy buying property, whether it's a home to live in and or to upgrade or to rebuild, but accumulate, accumulating investment property, that's been a, a massive sort of shift over the last 30 years is people's propensity to build a property portfolio to protect themselves in their retirement, mm-hmm. like, um, not wanting to rely on a government pension or a uh, their superannuation, which we've seen can crash 12, 18 months out from retirement. So people are trying to build all sorts of mechanisms to to protect themselves in in retirement. And we're not just talking about the wealth wealthy class. I mean, 50, 60, 70 years ago, the only people that owned a property or multiple properties were the sort of the wealthier class, whereas now we are talking... Um, Hamish, if you think about your own business and my business, we've got school teachers, nurses, um, all sorts of um, blue-collar professional class workers that have uh, used the equity in their first home to to, uh, accumulate one, two, three or four properties, right? It's become a real shift in in the Australian landscape is is for the, let's call it the ordinary Australian to, to... 
build wealth through property. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. And that is a misconstrued thing that the media quite often brings out as well, is that if you change the regime around property that you're affecting the wealthy, but you're actually you're actually not. You're actually yeah. affecting the middle class yeah. more often than not or, or the average mum and dad. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, and look, and that's it's it, you know so interest rates obviously make it harder for for, for people to buy that property or to, yep. to grow that portfolio, um, but it also the people that own the property they they're more inclined to want to increase their rents, which mm. is another topical thing for the moment because mm. of you know how many parts of the country you know over the last year or two there's been this um you know significant low vacancy regime or time where it's, it's just so hard to get a rental mm. at an affordable price. Mm. Um, but it's not really the property owner's fault because all they're doing is trying to, you know, balance the books, you know, to an extent. Mm. Well, my concept always been when I, when I talk to a lot of my investors themselves, especially people who are, uh, are fearful about, about increasing their rent, because I actually find most landlords I talk to don't like increasing rent. Do you know what I mean? They're not there to keep on just, just piling on top. And, and I find the average person I'm saying to them, to start off with, you've got to look at what your costs are this year compared to, to next year. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If you could buy, uh, you know, two McDonald's hamburgers with $10 in, in 2022, can you buy two McDonald's hamburgers in 2023 with $10? If you can't, then you need to ensure that your, your rent has increased by that amount of money. So if your rent is, you know, $300 one year, is $300 next year going to buy you the same amount of McDonald's hamburgers or not? If it's not, then, then you need to increase it by that, that CPI, you know, by that inflation just to be able to keep it at the same same level, you know, and then go from there. Just a quick check, Steve. You're not being sponsored, No, 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 not, no, not, no. not by McDonald's. <laughs> I could have used milk too or bread. People or bread. could get mistaken that we were sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> just been a good Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, coming out of this Christmas time, Dave, that you were sort of talking about, like, you know, what are, um, I'm, you know, just trying to kick off this part of the conversation, but, you know, what are the, the thoughts or themes that come to mind for you that you think, you know, again, those average Australians are going through at the moment or thinking about? Yeah. Well, I try and settle people down by explaining that it's not an unusual environment, you know, like, mm. and, and that they're one of many, right? So um, for a lot of people, like I think of people that would have been first home buyers that we would have done um, transactions for back in, let's say, 2010, 2011, right? So those people might have been 30, 35, nearly turning 50, and this is their first ever rate rises, right? So, and it's just not one or two, it's six or seven, whatever the number is. Mm. So, so, you know, it's like they haven't had time to adjust. But even the rates now, and we don't like to talk about prior generations, um, but they're still reasonably low by historical standards, and we've got our parents and even people younger than our parents that can remember the when the rates were in their teens. So the sort of the the uh, analogy I use is that let's say the average price of a bottle of milk has has traditionally been around five or five dollars fifty or whatever. We've been lucky in our society to have that bottle of milk at sort of a dollar fifty for like eight years and, and that cost of the bottle of milk going down and down and just sitting at $1 for like two or three or four years, well, now that bottle of milk might only be $4. It's still three or four times what you are paying, but it's still, in historical standards, still a reasonably priced um, bottle of milk. Now, in terms of how do people cope with that, um, 
and 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 I think most of our clients are reasonably or are reasonable people. Like they know, um, they don't go into home ownership and mortgages with their eyes closed. They know that things like this might happen, and none of us really know what's going to happen to interest rates. But what what we do know is is that that they might go up, and that we should be preparing ourselves for higher costs. And how do we do that? Right? How do we prepare ourselves? You know, for that high cost environment, you know. And it's interesting you bring that up in terms of what we should be expecting. And, of course, we've had, you know, Governor Lowe recently cop a lot of heat for, you know, his comments uh, only two years ago about interest rates and 2024 that we shouldn't we shouldn't see any rate rises, you know. My word's not his, but obviously he's copped a lot of heat for that. And and so, and it is, it's it, it's, it's interesting in the sense that we all know rates can go up, but it's the, it's, it's processing the likelihood of these events happening and when and, and how do we prepare for them. So, um, you know, so I, I do think that a lot of people have sort of gone, wow, bang, 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 you know, these rate rises have just kept coming and mm. and we don't even know if it's it's technically finished yet, right? So, so it must be for a lot of people, especially if they've bought in the last couple of years, quite a stressful thing, especially when you've got your parents in your ear sort of going, well, I remember when interest rates were 16 17%. And they just know that they can't cope with that sort of increase. Mm. Um, so, so there must be, you know, well, I, I, I shouldn't say must be. There is a level of stress out there around how people, you know, are coping with with these changes as they unfold. I think it's also important, though, to note that you know we went through this period of COVID where the government used that lever to try and, you know, help the the economy to stay afloat, and they really reduced interest rates down to you know an all time historical low. Yeah, um, and we've gone like you said, bang, 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 and the you know the media's love to advertise just every time there's a there's a rate rise and oh it's the end of the world type thing, mm-hmm. but I mean we've also got to remember it, it it came down like it really came down quite low, mm-hmm. and sure it's gone past where it was at, but if we take out that um, you know odd couple of years where the government was doing everything it could to to encourage an economy that was you know in a world pandemic, uh, I mean you know the difference is it's it's not as significant. Do you know? I mean, what were the interest rates prior to to COVID? Uh, look, uh, you know, as Dave said, it hasn't gone up, right, for 10 or 11 years mm. prior to, to, to now. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what the rates might have been at any one point in time, you know, maybe mid threes, high threes. Mm. Um, so, you know... Yeah, it's it's it's. Well, I would say it was sort of around that. I guess that's what I'm saying is that we've gone from that sort of you know, uh, just high ones, you know, low two percent, and and now we're up to where are we sort of sitting at around about now, in average. Uh, probably high fours to early fives. So it feels like when you've gone from two to five, mm. do you know what I mean? That's. That's a big, but if we take that COVID period out and we're going from mid threes to, to fives, there's, there's a difference there. People don't like to, to, or the media doesn't like to actually show that, yep, there, there has been a rise, but they like to show it going from 1% to 5%. Do you know what I mean? Not going, hey guys, let's take out this area where the government had to do something really important to, to make sure our economy stayed stable during a, during a pandemic. Let's look at it from where it was prior to that to where it is now, mm. do you know? And if we actually even everything out, you know, it's, it's, it's not this doom gloom situation that we're so worried about. No, doom and gloom, doom and bust is what sells... Uh, it's clickbait. It's what sells papers. That's right. Um, so people do need to be very cautious about um, making decisions based on reading that stuff, yeah. right? 
Um, there's far more uh, reasons to be calm and to to plan how you're going to cope through these things rather than reacting in the most aggressive form of reaction for us or in, in you know given that we're in this industry is to to sell something mm. when they may not need to yes right? yes and and I think you know it, it is important like the, to know that this isn't the only time the Reserve Bank ha- mm. had come out and alluded to the direction that they thought things were going to go and and you know it is it has become a more common strategy for the Reserve Bank to almost say well I don't really want to put rates out there up so I'll scare everyone by saying rates might go up mm-hmm. or, or, or and obviously this is the reverse of that so I mean in hindsight if we go back to you know early 2020 the world was a mess, you know. Mm. Like it, it, they, they had to try and instill confidence in in us being able to make everyday decisions. Mm. I mean, little things, you know, going back and you know, talking about, you know, the, the the savings level through 2020 was the highest it's been since the 70s. Mm. You know, so people weren't wanting to spend money, all mm. right. So because of this fear that, well, wait a second, we're all locked in our houses and we're all, you know, we're experiencing something we've never experienced before. So you know, you. You can understand, you know, um, them trying to come out and make comments that might give us a bit of confidence that we can sort of get on with life and do things and, mm-hmm. and borrow money, which is, you know, typically what sort of happened. So, um, so yeah, but it, it is. It's still, it's still a reminder that a lot of our clients and a lot of the people that we're talking to, you know, have gone from that two to five means that their repayments may have doubled. Yeah. All right, yeah. and and that. That, that might still be flowing through as as repayments sort of change. So, and regardless of the reason, that hurts. It does. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my comment to, to both of you is, what are you saying to your clients at the moment in regards to you know these interest rate rises? Are, you know, what are their ways that people can actually uh, feel more in, in control of, of of what they're actually what the products they have in regards to actually paying for those that they feel that they aren't able to make the repayments? What are you sort of saying to people that are coming to you in that sort of feed? state you want to start off with that Dave uh well we we stress test our clients in terms of you know where rates might head and we do a budget and Mm. and prepare them for 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 rate rises and look at what happens to their budget it's very simple we have a very simple way of doing that so people can understand it Mm. um the and there's all there's all sorts of things they can do to to help that situation I mean the ugly or the um, yeah, most of the public don't really like being um, directed as to what to do, but certainly being careful with spending, thats there's no hiding from that. Um, that is a mechanism which will take people through their life, right? mm. being cautious about spending. Um, so that's one area we talk about in terms of, okay, if things do go up, what what can shift? And that's that's just a bit confusing because, of course, you know, the problem we had two years ago was that everyone was basically going, no, no, spend, 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 and now, now we're saying, no, no, pull back. You know? Well, people have a right to be very confused, especially with this inflation cycle because on one hand they're being said, well, this is sort of overseas factors and all these global mm. things, and then they're being told to, to tighten their belts and people don't like being told to change, including me. Um, so people are very confused as to what's creating this massive thing. Is it overseas? Is it here? Is it themselves? Um, so people have a right to be confused. But um, the things we're talking about in terms of just generally responsible spending, 
that that relates to any cycle, mm. right? It's it's not a rate rise cycle. It's any cycle. It's you know it's just part of part of um, building wealth, really. I think it's important to actually um, you know think of it as a cycle as well. And to recognise that, however long this situation is going to go on for, it's, it's there is going to come a time where interest rates will most likely mm-hmm. uh, come down again. Mm-hmm. No one has a crystal ball. No one can say when that's going to be or what's going to happen. But it's for a period of time. We're not saying for the rest of your life you're going to be paying, you know, this level of of you know mortgage repayments. It's about going during this period of time. You need to pull yourself in, make sure your spending habits are, are being controlled um, so that you can, like you said, um, pay for things that are important and not have mm-hmm. to sell an asset that in five years' time or ten years' time is going to be worth a lot more than if you had to sold it now. So, you know, you can get rid of short-term pain. Yeah. Like, I mean, and just, you know, you're right, nobody likes to be told, all right? Mm-hmm. So, but I think for ourselves we have to learn to say no to things, yeah. you know. Like I heard an example yesterday we were in the Philippines, they went through a season where onions was were as expensive as steak. Yeah. All right. So, okay. Well, yeah. I, I guess the lesson in that is we just don't buy onions at the moment, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like, I think watermelon recently was, you know, it might have been over $10 a kilo, which means you're paying 30 or 40 bucks for a watermelon. Well, again, you know, like um, we're so used to um, watermelon, you know, being under two bucks a kilo type thing. You just don't buy watermelon at that point in time. But, of course, you know, it's summer. We want those summer fruits. Mm. We want to enjoy those things. Um, And so it is. It's tricky because, um, and I think as a society, saying no is just isn't popular. It's, it's, you know, we we want to be told yes all the time. Mm. So it is is a, it's a new thing for a lot of us to really have to get used to, to be just saying, well, no, not now. We just can't do that at the moment. Um, So... And that's just going to be different for each individual person. Um, so, Well, thank you guys for your time today. Really appreciated talking to you both. Um, before we go, is there any take-home message you want to pass on to the community of listeners? Um, yeah, look, I think um, it's just... Uh, I think 2023 is going to be a good year. You yeah. Know, like, I, I think that that's a pretty bold statement and, of course, there's it a is. lot of uncertainty out there. But I do think that, you know, for, for me it's about saying, look, you know, the glass is half full. There's plenty of things that we can be doing, all right, mm. to actually um, to work on our lives, improve things, and um, it's just a matter of finding those opportunities. So, yeah, to the listeners, um, I, my recommendation is get out there and find those things that you can do. Uh, yeah, my message would be to to be calm, not to react too quickly, you might be feeling under pressure, um, but don't panic. Talk to us. Mm. And quite often the process of just talking about it, analysing a few key figures, 24 hours later you'll feel better. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think they're, they're great take-home messages and I, and I think that's very true. It, you know, too often we let media, social media, the, the normal media, you know, take our emotions and flow with it, mm. you know, and, and it feels... Let's face it, they go from one fear to the next. If it's not the war in, you know, Ukraine, it's the interest rate rise. If it's not that, it's, you know, a Jetstar jet that had to turn around four hours, you know, into the thing. They've got to find something, you know, to be able to talk about. So I think you're right. Stopping, talking to a professional, actually going, this is my problem. 
how, you know, can we together come up with a solution mm. is a good way of going. Because I actually agree with you, Hamish. I think 2023 is going to be a, a good year. I think we've come out of quite a lot of, of, of hard times over the last few years with COVID and then, you know, even sort of post-COVID, that whole just getting into stability. I, I really see that, uh, you know, when I read a lot of things happening in different industries, um, it is going to be quite a quite a buoyant year. Mm. So maybe we'll um, revisit this, uh, this clip in, in 12 months' time and see if uh, any of us are correct. <laughs> See if watermelons come down. See if yeah. watermelons come down. That's right. That's big and Big Macs. And, and Big Macs, in which we are not at all advertising that company. No. No. All milk, all milk companies. No. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, look, thank you guys. I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you to all the listeners. And okay. as always, uh, Help My Wealth is about empowering your financial journey. I hope that we've been able to do that today by talking to David and Hamish. And we'll talk to you again. As always, please like and follow us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The information discussed by the Help My Wealth and the Money Rules, Money Rules podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is generally nature and it is not advice. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. It is aimed to provide a general understanding of each topic and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. It is strongly suggested that you seek professional advice regarding your own individual circumstances before making a financial decision. Help My Wealth and the hosts of the Money Rules and Money Rules podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. In the spirit of reconciliation, Help My Wealth and the Money Rules or Money Rules podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging elders. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.